Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. We've been in a series titled Raised to Life, and what we're doing as a church is we're going through the entire book of Ephesians verse by verse, and we are so passionate about making this happen, going through each verse um, that we put together a ghetto Facebook video for y'all, even though we didn't meet last week. Who watched the Facebook video? Come on. Hey, is some better than none? It sure is. So I don't want to hear you complaining. We're doing the best we can. Amen. Come on. Hey, but for real, we're in week three of this series going through Ephesians. And and for me, if for no one else, this series has been powerful and transformational, even for me, even in my own life, even in my own prayer life, even in my perspective of God's perspective and purpose for me. It's like, I just feel like I'm discovering so much more about the Father's heart. And and last week we went through Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 14. And that whole passage of scripture is what would be known as a doxology. It's, you know, in the original Greek, it's, it would be written without any punctuation, which uh, would allude to the fact that it was more of a spiritual poem or like a spiritual song of praise. So we took all of last week, and if you didn't get a chance to watch the Facebook video, it'll bless you, so go watch it. But if you didn't, we also re-recorded the message. I gave the message to an audience of one, Pastor Josh, um, and he sat there and recorded it, and we got that up on the podcast for you guys. So if you missed it, go back and listen to it. Uh, I believe the Lord will minister to you through that. But here's a couple takeaways from last week's message. It's one, we, it's this. We've received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms from God through Jesus, okay? So in this realm that we're involved with, in this realm that we can't see, we've received every spiritual blessing, our election, our redemption, our forgiveness, our power, authority. We've received it all from being in relationship with Jesus. Come on, it's good news. Two, we've been adopted by God through Jesus. We've been adopted by God through Jesus. And point three, Uh, our, Our third takeaway from last week was the Holy Spirit at work within us. The Holy Spirit at work within you is God's guarantee that he has purchased us to be his own people, okay? So today, as we continue on um, wrapping up, getting close to the end of Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to move through verses 15 through 19, okay? We're going to move through verses 15 through 19, but before we do, I want to open up in prayer. Okay, that sound good? Y'all ready? Let's do it. Jesus, uh, Father, you are welcome here. God, I pray that right now you would till the soil of our hearts. Help it to be fertile ground so as the seed of your word goes forth, it would land in our hearts, but it would grow to produce fruit in our lives. Father, I believe your word is sharper than any double-edged sword. I believe that it's live and active. God, and I pray that we would allow it to transform us. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Help us to know you more. Give us greater insight so we can have greater intimacy with you. Let us not just be hearers of your word, but let us be doers as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So after verses 3 through 14, which again is this spiritual masterpiece of wisdom and praise that Paul writes out um, for the Ephesians, Paul immediately, right after he finishes that, he immediately begins to express his gratitude, his gratefulness for the people and the believers in Ephesus. So he, he opens up his, or right after that doxology, verses 15 and 16, he says this, for this reason, Paul's writing from a prison cell, remember, 
he goes, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, he goes, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Like, I'm so grateful to be paired, and, and, and I'm so grateful to link arms with believers who love Jesus so much and do such a great job loving each other. You know, I, I almost think, I think sometimes we, we read Paul's writing, or maybe in movies, like we've heard Paul's writing, and it's like, I looked out into the land and saw... You know, and it's like real serious and like this English accent. And honestly, as I read Paul's writing, I bet Paul was a little more maybe like me, a little hyper, you know, kind of like overpassionate, sometimes maybe too overpassionate. Like, what's going on here? You know, or maybe I guess I would be more like Paul in that essence. He came first, right? Regardless, anyways. Um, <laughs> He goes, but I haven't stopped giving thanks for you. I think Paul's joyful. I think he's, ex he's excited. He's enthusiastic, right? He goes, I haven't stopped giving thanks for you and remembering you in my prayers. Now, something I find so intrinsic about Paul is his ornate ability to deliver uh, strong, hard-nosed truth. Like, nobody, I, I think one of Paul's spiritual giftings is his boldness to share the gospel. Whether, whether it's, you know, whether it's easy or comfortable or uncomfortable, Paul's willing to give you truth and, and, and give it and tell it how it is. But, but I think it's Paul's great love for people that allows people to trust Paul's instruction and his intention. It, it's easy to receive from someone when you understand how much they love you how much they care for you, right? And Paul opens up his letter. He goes, he's like, I haven't stopped thanking God for you guys. I love you guys. I got a heart for y'all. And in the same way, God's great love for us and the fact that while we were still sinners, he gave us Christ, right? I think that that's enough for us to trust his instruction and his intention for our lives. Now, notice one of the first things Paul acknowledges about the believers in Ephesus is obviously their faith, so he goes, man, I love the way that you love Jesus, but the way they love each other. And I think part of the reason it's so easy for the Ephesians to receive from Paul again is, is because he continually expresses his gratitude and gratefulness for them. And here's a little lesson in leadership. Whether you're a business leader, a teacher, maybe you're just a parent, you can write this down if you're taking notes. But people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. But I, but I love this. Paul takes time as he's expressing his gratitude and his love for the people in Ephesians. He then compliments uh, the people in Ephesus for their love for one another. Paul writes in another one of his letters, um, listen, you can speak in the you know, tongues of man or angels. You, you, can, you can fathom all mysteries. You can even have faith that moves mountains, but if you don't love, you gain nothing. It's all about love. That is the, the foundation blocks on which the gospel is built, right? We see even in the scriptures, God is love. It's all about love. And Paul's literally telling the Ephesians, I've heard about your faith and, and the way you're loving people, and I'm so grateful to be partnered with you guys. I'm so grateful to be on the same team. I love you guys. I've been praying for y'all. He goes, but, but Paul goes on to share exactly what he's been praying over them. I love this. We get this little insight. We get to peek through a little window of, uh, into Paul's prayer life and see, okay, Paul, this incredible man of God, how would you pray? Like, 
So he, he's telling us, man, I haven't stopped praying for you. And then he goes on in the next verses to tell us how he prays and what he's been praying for. And I love that. We get to read that and we get to see that. So this morning, I want to take some time to observe Paul's prayer over the people of Ephesus. Because we got to remember, Paul was a man who, you know, on his way to Damascus, he had this divine, supernatural encounter with Jesus. It, like, you know, a, a, like a, an encounter we haven't really seen or heard of before. And he just, he's a man who's sensitive to God's spirit. And we get to observe his prayer. And I thought it'd be fruitful to unpack this prayer Paul's been praying over the Ephesians, which he says he's been continually, continuously praying. But before I do that, I, I almost want to sidestep from, from Ephesians really quick, and then we'll step right back into it. But, but I want to I, I almost put out that question, put out this question. Can our prayers be more effective? Can my prayers be more effective than your prayers? Can my prayers be hindered? Is there anything that can increase the effectiveness of my prayers? If there's anyone other than Jesus who had effective prayers, I think Paul is a great place to start, amen? But before we even look at Paul's prayer over Ephesus, what do the scriptures have to say about the effectiveness of my prayers and how those, that can either be enhanced or the effectiveness can be hindered? Here, here's what I want to say. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. To answer the simple question, can my prayers be hindered? The answer is 100% yes. Absolutely. Can my prayers be more effective? Absolutely. Absolutely. We look in the Old Testament, we see Psalm 66, um, verse 18. It says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Then we see Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Okay, Pastor Mark, we see it, but now we have Jesus. We're in the New Testament. That's Old Testament scripture. I say, okay, that's fine, but I would submit to you. I read my Bible, and I study my Bible too, and here's what I found, that this principle of whether or not our prayers can be um, you know, enhanced or hindered, that principle remains true in the New Testament. We see in James 4.3, James writes, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. We can see wrong motives can hinder my prayers. Praise God they do, amen? Then we see 1 Peter 3, 7. If you're a husband in the room, raise your hand. Come on, everybody say husbands. Husbands, husbands. This is so interesting. I actually, I'm gonna keep this verse in my back pocket for Father's Day next year. But, but check out what 1 Peter 3, 7 says. It's already on here. Don't read this yet. I, want, I don't want y'all to see it yet. But, but it says, husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. So why? Nothing will hinder your prayers. We see Jeremy Tao, are you smiling at me, hubby over there? No, I'm just kidding. So what I see is God doesn't like when husbands mistreat their wives. Sim a simple principle God wants us to honor and love our wives. And when we don't, there's actually consequences because of it. It can hinder the effectiveness of our prayers. Isn't that an interesting thought? So if mistreating my wife can hinder my prayer, what else can hinder my prayers? What else can hinder the effectiveness of my prayers? So if our, if our prayers have the ability to be hindered, 
It would also seem to make sense to me that our, our prayers have the ability to become more effective as well, right? So what increases the effectiveness of our prayers then? We, we've seen what's hindered, what can in, increase the effectiveness. 1 John 3, verse 21 through 22, it says this, Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, if we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. I'm going to read that one, time, one more time. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask. Why? Because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. In Hebrews, we see what pleases the Lord is when we have faith in him and when we seek him. That's what pleases God. When we follow his commands and do what pleases him, it increases the effectiveness of our prayers. There's this obvious connection between our obedience and our faithfulness with the effectiveness of our prayers. Is that okay? So as, as we further observe Paul's prayer over the Ephesians here in chapter 1, I, I think we gain even greater insight to, to what an effective prayer life looks like. I think there's lots from Paul's prayer um, that we can glean for ourselves and we can apply in our own prayer life. So Ephesians 1, verse 17, it says this. I keep asking. Everybody say, keep asking. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Point number one this morning is this. Keep asking. You want effective prayers? You want more effective prayers? Keep asking. Keep asking. What is one of the most vital components for us to develop deep intimacy with God and to increase the effectiveness of our prayers is persistence. Persistence. And I understand that sometimes persistence is hard for us, but I, I, I want to encourage you this morning against the grain of discouragement, against the fear of wounds from unanswered prayers uh, of, of the past, right? Against the grain of our doubt, believe, desire, and trust God's will. We've, we've still been instructed by the scriptures to make every request known. Mark, I've been praying. I haven't seen it. I just want to keep asking. Come on, Mark, I've been praying. I've been believing. Just keep asking. Come on, I see in the scriptures persistence is, is primary, right? Persistence is key. Keep asking God. Keep asking God. There's a parable Jesus shares with his disciples in Luke 18 and you know, for those who don't know, parables are, are earthly stories, but they have a heavenly principle embedded with, within. And Jesus is sharing this story to his disciples to communicate a point. But before I tell you the point, I want to tell you the story. It's about a widow who she's looking for justice against her adversary, so she keeps going to visit this judge, but this judge's behavior would be considered corrupt, I guess. He's not a real fair judge, doesn't seem to be a great guy, but she keeps going, and she keeps going, and eventually, like, her persistence just starts to wear this judge out, and he's like, honestly, just so she doesn't end up attacking me, like, just so she'll go away, to do away with this woman, he just grants her her request. He grants her her justice. And the whole reason Jesus even shared this parable with his disciples in the first place, Luke tells us why in the first verse of chapter 18. He says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. The whole reason Jesus told that story was to teach them that they should always pray 
and they should not give up. So from Ephesians 1.17, we certainly learn to keep asking and to persistently pray, but I think there's something even deeper in verse 17. I want to read it again and, and then elaborate on it. Ephesians 1.17, it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So why? So that you'll know him better. Paul prays, I want you to receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation so you can know God better. Anyone want to know God better in the room? My next focus on, on verse 17 here isn't so much on the persistence of Paul's prayer, but, but it's on the thing that Paul's persistently praying for, which is that you would receive a spirit of wisdom and, and knowledge or, or revelation and knowledge, right? Wisdom and revelation so that you might know God better. So maybe we read this as believers, and this is the stuff we get tripped up on in the scriptures. Like This, this is a little puzzling to us as, as we grapple with, with trying to decipher. So is this spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation, is that different from the Holy Spirit? Like, Didn't the Ephesians receive the Holy Spirit when they believed? And here's what I want to suggest. Really quick, I want to break this down. This is really deep, but it's really good. Okay, so lean in, get up on the edge of your seat. I'm going to, I'll, I'll hit it, I'll hit it hard, and then we'll move out of verse 17 and we'll step into verse 18. But this is good right here. Y'all ready? Okay, so as you go through the book of Revelation, which we just got out of a series of Revelation, John's receiving a revelation, okay? He's receiving a vision of Jesus, and you'll notice that there's this continual mention, I think there's four specifically, of the seven spirits of God. The seven spirits of God. Now, I want to be clear, there's one Holy Spirit, but some scholars suggest, based off Revelation, and there's a prophetic text in the book of Isaiah, that the Holy Spirit operates in like a sevenfold ministry. Okay, so basically, there, there's seven primary ways in which the Holy Spirit moves, and those seven different folds are highlighted in this prophetic passage out of Isaiah, which is all about the Messiah who's to come. So it's describing this Messiah who we know is Jesus. Okay, so this passage out of Isaiah is going to be talking about Jesus, but it's talking about the Spirit that's dwelling with it, within and on him. Okay, so let's look at this passage from Isaiah here. It says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. So there's one, the Spirit of the Lord, okay? The Holy Spirit will rest on him. It says, but also the Spirit of wisdom. So there's two, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Different scholars suggest that there is one Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit ministers and manifests and reveals himself in different ways. So I wanted to dig a little deeper. What, why, why does the Holy Spirit have this capability? Why can the Holy Spirit carry out revelation and knowledge? And how, it is, how is it able to, obviously we know the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. You know, it's, it's part of the, the you know, the, the um, again, part of the Trinity. That was sufficient. Move on. <laughs> I don't know what, else, what other word I was looking for, but the, the triple piece of God, or I don't know how else I could word that, but uh, yeah. So, you know. That was good. Yeah, you guys get up here and preach, okay? Yeah, oh, nobody's laughing anymore. No. Paul so elegantly, in, in another letter that he writes, he gives us some incredible insight into the Holy Spirit. 
and how the Holy Spirit works. But, but he also named some of the special privileges that the Holy Spirit has. And man, I think this verse is incredible. It's in, I think it's in, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Paul writes this. Check this out. He says, however it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who loved him. Come on, can we get an amen right there? Amen. Come on, praise God. He said, these are the things God has revealed to us by what? The Spirit. So then it goes on, the second half of verse 10, all the way to verse 12. Listen to this. This is so good. It says, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Like the Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? And in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So the one being, the one person of the Holy Spirit, that the, the one person who knows the thoughts of God, who has access to the thoughts of God, we have access to as well. Check, check out these next verses. We, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Come on, the same Holy Spirit that rummages through the thoughts and heart of God is rummaging through me and you. That Holy Spirit that carries these divine messages of God's thoughts and purposes is at work in me and you to reveal his thoughts, his revelation. Come on, is that not incredible? What Paul understood was that the Holy Spirit had the divine ability to not only search the deep things of God, but to reveal the deep things of God to us. Woo! Praise Lord. Come on, praise the Lord. That's good news. Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would share. So, so, and, and as Paul's in his prison cell, what Paul is continuously praying over the Ephesians is exactly that. That the Holy Spirit that searches the deep things of God, he, he'd reveal those things to the Ephesians. That's what he's praying. It's beautiful, man. He, Paul is praying the Holy Spirit would share his divine wisdom and revelation with, with, with the Ephesians for the grand purpose of what, though? Like, why does he want the Holy Spirit to do that? Because it will help them to know God better. And, and like, I need to start praying this over us. Come on, as the leader of this house, because I want us and I want, I, I want me to know God better, right? So we need to start praying, God, reveal yourself. Here, here's what, here's what I, I think the principle we can pull is, is, is great insight, Divine insight is going to lead to divine intimacy with God, right? The, the greater our insight, the greater our intimacy. He's saying, I, I pray that you would receive revelation and wisdom so you can know God better. Come on, somebody put an amen right there. So to, to, to paraphrase here, verse 17, Paul is persistently praying to God the Father that the Holy Spirit would allow believers to receive greater insight on God so they can have greater intimacy. Now, embedded within verse 17, I lied. Before we move on, there's one more little principle I want to pull. There's one more principle I want to pull from 17. And uh, it, it, it's this. Two, for us to have more effective prayer lives, the first being, you know, keep asking. The second being, know who you're praying to. Know who you're praying to. Ephesians 117, I'll read it one more time. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that's who he's praying to, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. 
Paul gives us the simple key that he's praying to the Father. Now, the reason he has access to the Father is because Jesus has made a way. Jesus is the way. Jesus has made it possible for us to approach his throne with boldness, right? Jesus has given us access to the Father, but it's the Spirit that will carry out the work of the Father in us. So although we pray to the Father, we see the Trinity at work in perfect unity. Come on, this is deep stuff, but this is good stuff, amen? So Pastor Mark, should I not pray to Jesus then? Is that what you're saying? And I would say 100%. I believe Jesus is alive. He rose from the grave, amen? Jesus is alive and active. I would submit that uh, to tend to that relationship. I, I think to commune and to communicate with Jesus is a vital part of the health of our spirituality. We have to nurture our relationship with Jesus, but, and I definitely think that involves communicating with him. But also remember in Colossians verses, uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 16, it says, The Son, so Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So they're really not all that separate. In the person of Jesus, we experience the fullness of the Father. He says the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created. You were created in Jesus. I was created in in Jesus. God, through Jesus, created all things, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. That's where we're talking about this heavenly realm, right? Uh, Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. All things have been created through him and for all things have been created through him and for him. It's the whole reason we're here. In the person of Jesus Christ, we experience the fullness of God the Father. So we see from Paul's prayer, we see one, keep asking. Two, we see know who you're praying to. And then the third principle of effective prayer we learn from Paul here is know what you're praying for. As Paul is sharing his prayer with the Ephesians, Paul is confident and he is specific in what he's praying for. A spirit of knowledge and revelation, right? A spirit of wisdom and revelation. Paul is is praying specifically, and I want to encourage every believer in the room to pray to God specifically. I would suggest that our specific prayers are effective prayers. Don't be scared to get specific with God. In verses 18 through 19, Paul says, Paul says, I'm, I'm praying this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, like the eyes of your heart would be open in order that you may know the hope to which you have been called. Paul's praying, I, I pray that your eyes are open to the new hope that we have in Jesus, what that means for us. Like the fact that we now have eternal life with God because of Jesus. I want your eyes to be open to that hope. He continues to write, you know, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And I want your eyes to be open. I want want you to become aware of his incomparably great power for us who believe. When you put faith in Jesus, boom, there's an infusion and an empowerment from the Holy Spirit that's at work within me and you. And I think a lot of us are sleeping on that power that's at work. So uh, come on, I'm excited for next week as we we dive into verses 20 through 23. And we're going to talk about the power that's at work within us. I, I think the problem is it's not that the power isn't there. I just, I just wonder if there's just not an awareness for it. Because Paul's praying, I, I pray that your heart may be enlightened in order that you might, you might be aware, in order that you might know. 
He's saying, I just want you to know that it's there. He's not saying, I'm not praying so that it's there. He's praying so that you know it's there, so that you become aware to it. Simply put, Paul is continually praying the Ephesians would grow in their awareness of all it means to be a Jesus follower. He's praying for them to recognize the hope, to recognize the power, to recognize eternal life, to to, to be awakened to the great power that's at work in us through Jesus, through his spirit, right? So next week, as we we venture on to verses 20 and 23, we'll break some of that down, but I'll conclude this week with this as we're nearing the end of Ephesians chapter one, we can see Paul's heart for the believers in Ephesus, Ephesus, right? And we so clearly, we we so clearly see how badly Paul wants them to understand the great complexity, but also the great simplicity of the fact that Jesus changes everything. Everything. Jesus changes everything everything. And maybe there's some of you in the room who don't know him this morning. And I can't imagine wandering through this life not knowing the thing we were created through and the thing we were created for. And if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, if you've never confessed with your mouth, never believed in your heart, never fully given him your heart, turned it all over to him, I believe he's brought you into this room this morning for that, for that right there. So eyes closed, head bowed. If that's you, you're sitting in this room and you're like, man, that's me. That's me. I'm ready to give my heart to Jesus. I get it. If that's you, would you put your hand up in the air right now? If that's you, you're like, man, I'm ready. I'm ready for a relationship with Jesus. That's me. The Bible says you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart Jesus is Lord. You'll be saved. Come on, would would there be one person in this room? All right, let's stand together. I'm not discouraged about no hands, but I'm still going to say a prayer because we're going to make sure. Again, Bible says you confess in your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. So I want to take a moment to confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord as one family. Is that okay? you repeat after me? Jesus, we confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that you are Lord. Thank you for washing away my sin. Thank you for making me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm never going back. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.